You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, friends, colleagues. There's lots of you online, lots of you. I mean, it's fabulous. Packed here into the Trinity Longroom Hub. I have to speak to the camera rather than the people who are behind me. So apologies in advance, but Jess will be chairing this. But my name's Jane Olmeyer. I'm the Erasmus Smith Professor of Modern History here at Trinity. And I'm very privileged to be the co-PI on this really phenomenal Marie Curie programme called Human Plus. And the whole point of Human Plus is putting the human at the centre of technological uh, innovation. Um, now, we have... I was going to say one, two, three, four Human Plus fellows in Trinity. Uh, we're still recruiting more. The programme is really, though, going to get going this uh, year. Um, and this is our TED Talk series, our Tech Talk series. What am I saying? Copied, of course, from the <laughs> TED Talks. Um, and it's it's really exciting because Katja is going to be sort of leading this first one, uh, along with her two supervisors, um, Jennifer O'Mara, whom you'll uh, hear from in, in film studies, and uh, Alyosha. Where's Alyosha? Is he online? He's online. Oh, Alyosha, we're missing you in Dublin already. <laughs> um, uh, Alyosha from Computer Science. There you are. Nice to see you. Uh, but I'm really delighted because all I get to do is welcome everybody and say how we're excited um, uh, we are about this series. Uh, and I'm going to be handing over to Jess Magico Domney. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> pass. Uh, uh, from Accenture. Now, it's been a real privilege to work with Accenture on this, uh, Jess. So really, you and your colleague, particularly Ken, have been just a joy to work with. And it's it's great for me to be able to handing over to you, the chair uh, uh, for this event. So thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jane, and I can sit back and relax. Have my lunch. <laughs> thank you, everyone, to, who are joining us in the room today and also online. So my name is Jess Magicodemy. I am the director of the Human Sciences Studio at The Dock, which is Accenture's Global Innovation Centre. And we are delighted to collaborate on this because we have that same mission around putting the human at the centre of all things to do with innovation and technology. Um, so I will be your chair for this discussion on identity and behavior in the digital world. And we've got three great speakers lined up today. So we have Dr. Katazita, Dr. Jennifer O'Mara and Professor Alyosha Smollett joining us online. We had a sneak peek of Alyosha there just a, a few moments ago. And they're gonna be combining angles around human psychology and digital technology and aesthetics to kind of really dissect this question around avatars and digital personas and how that impacts on things like inclusivity and identity and social dynamics. So this is not going to be, you know, just a, an easy superficial discussion. I think we're really gonna try and get under the surface of those issues. Now, a central question for this was posed when you would have registered your, your, uh, to get your ticket to come here today, is whether avatars and digital personas should be considered humans. So before we actually get going, I would like to ask everyone in the room and everyone online in some shape or form of raising a hand or not, do you think avatars and digital personas should be considered human? Raise your hand if the answer is yes. 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Literally one person in the room. A few people. I, I think someone's just holding a mobile phone. I thought there was maybe two. Um, raise your hand if you think the answer is no. Okay, the majority. And I guess there might be a few don't knows haven't decided yet. So let's see who they are. There's a, there's a okay. So we might come back to this question at the end because it might be interesting just to revisit this. So before I introduce the first speaker, I'm just going to give you a sense of how this session will run. Each speaker will speak for about five minutes um, each, give or take a slide or two. Um, then we will have a bit of a panel discussion and open up to the floor. So please, if you have any questions, feel free to pop them into the comments or just make a note of them. We will be definitely taking questions <coughs> from the floor. So first off is Kata, um, who is a Human Plus Research Fellow at the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute here at Trinity. And Kata, you are the one who curated this panel and chose that question that you put your hand up for but no one else did can you why did before you start your presentation can you give us a sense of why you chose this topic and why you're also bringing in um jennifer and alyosha uh, to discuss it with you yeah thanks jess uh, honestly i was surprised to be the only one with my hand hand up but um yeah so the whole idea is um uh, behind this topic and uh, behind um, the discussion of what, like how um, how identity and how behavior is shaped by digital personas is um, the fact that uh, communication and a lot of activities are moving online and um, these online spaces where uh, people are represented by digital personas uh, have um, its own social um, system, its own social dynamics. So in a lot of cases, there overlaps with, with uh, behaviors in the physical world. That includes uh, also the appearance of, uh, of people and, and the way they interact with each other, the way they behave. But at the same time, it's, uh, um, it's easy to hide behind digital personas. So um, in many cases, it's hard to decipher uh, whether this is a real person, whether this is a, a something that follows an algorithm, or whether um, this real person is uh, representing their own selves. Um, so I've been um, uh, for quite a long time interested in um, social behavior in, um, in virtual spaces and online spaces and uh, how exactly um, immersive environments and immersive technology would affect people's uh, behaviors and interactions. And uh, for me, it's very much about the human side of it. It's very much about what, uh, how these, these uh, digital and immersive spheres change our behaviors and our ideas of um, and understandings of the uh, things that are happening to us. So for me, it's very, very much rooted in, in human behavior and uh, human psychology. Um, so, um, so for me, it's obvious that these are considered as humans, but at the same time, uh, um, these humans or these personas, we can say that if you don't really want to define them as humans, these personas are very much dependent on 
the technology, technological um, affordances, the technological functions and uh, the ways in which we can engage with each other through uh, something that is artificial. Brilliant. And I can't wait to hear about your research and then also the perspectives of Jennifer and Alyosha. So whenever you're ready to uh, share those slides. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> And uh, my video as well and share my screen. Yeah. Um, uh, so basically the what I was uh, I was just explaining and just really shortly or briefly uh, reflecting on that, that the um, more and more of our social interactions are becoming digital, I don't think it's a it's a surprise to anyone, and um, and it was definitely something that was catalyzed by or or was was highlighted during the pandemic when uh, a lot of um, uh, activities and interactions had to had to move online on various uh, kinds of spaces, but uh, virtual environments and immersive technology that involves uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. Um, became tools for um, for um, creating these worlds and creating these uh, uh, these environments and spaces for different types of activities. So um, what we can say about like if you look at this picture as well is that in um, in these virtual environments uh, there are a variety of ways for people to represent themselves and. This includes, you know, uh, changing one's appearance slightly or using some kind of uh, fictional characteristics, um, props or accessories or um, masks or whatever, but also completely changing one's appearance um, uh, to fictional figures that would not even reflect on this uh, person, so use users uh, humanness. Um, there are robots, skeletons, animals, etc., um, in which uh, that you can take uh, as um, as uh, your virtual personas. Um, so there is definitely this dilemma whether um, the representation of uh, of humans in digital worlds would um, uh, would that affect or how uh, that would affect social behavior and social dynamics when we don't actually show our uh, true selves. And um, again, that's, uh, that's not something very new because obviously every day we go, uh, go about and go to work and uh, go to places with, I don't know, um, dressing up, wearing makeup, brushing our hairs, or just, you know, uh, presenting a picture of us that we want to show to others in certain types of social scenarios. And the, this appearance is very often tied to certain social scenarios and uh, behavioral um, frameworks. So even that appears even in, the, in, uh, in real life. And this is enhanced in these digital worlds where uh, no one actually knows what you look like if you appear as a skeleton or if you appear with uh, pink hair or in any um, shape and form. And so um, my idea or um, the whole idea of this, uh, of this 
uh, discussion now is uh, rooted in the, in the three pillars of, uh, of digital personas and digital representations that I find important uh, when, um, when addressing these, uh, these problems and this, uh, this phenomenon. Um, and uh, this is why uh, I am really excited about this discussion and bringing um, Jennifer and Alyosha and also Jess um, into this discussion because uh, um, I think it's important to cover uh, these uh, these areas of uh, aesthetics, of technology, and uh, of behavior and uh, social dynamics in this uh, in this picture. So um, yeah, this is um, a very um, simplified uh, division of what uh, the or our perspectives of this of this topic. But um, yeah, um, mine is the gray one with behavior. And we'll say a few words about that, um, not repeating myself. So digital, um, digital personas uh, can appear in many shapes and forms in, in um, different uh, extended reality platforms or in uh, different digital spaces. They don't even have to be immersive spaces, but digital spaces. Um, and they have a, a variety of functions, uh, not just um, a simple representation of the person that they are there or um, they engage in, uh, in an activity, but also they have aesthetic functions. Um, they have um, um, functions in, uh, in representing a certain um, um, certain personality and uh, also um, there are various ways to presenting ourselves in different in different social scenarios so the reason why I put these these pictures together to see like all these uh, different functions and how um, I guess Jennifer will talk a little bit more about the aesthetic part of it but how the representation of digital bodies is also a very often dependent on what we are doing in certain um, uh, virtual or um, digital spaces. So, for example, um, in a work meeting, in um, in virtual reality, it's very often um, customizations of uh, avatars or digital personas. It's very often limited to, you know, formal attires, um, to um, uh, representations that don't really go into any extremes. Whereas um, on the uh, in this bottom right picture, that's the concert. So in that case, um, the representation of uh, this artist is uh, that goes beyond the traditional um, everyday representation of everyday appearance of a person and goes more into uh, some kind of an um, artistic expression. Um, and also everyone's favorite um, <laughs> Zoom event from, is it? 2021 or 2020, I'm not sure, um, is how um, the change of one's digital presentation. And here we're talking about a Zoom conversation where again, like one can use various uh, digital personas uh, could affect the whole, uh, not just how the others will um, uh, engage with, uh, with, this, with the specific person, 
but uh, but also the whole power dynamics and all the uh, different layers of social dynamics in these digital spheres when someone um, in an official meeting uh, happens to appear as a cat and trying to figure out how not to be a cat and <laughs> justify that they are in fact not one. But again, so it is a it is it was quite a comical situation, but it's um, but it shows very well how. Um, uh, just the change of representation and change behaviors as well. So uh, basically, my take or my approach to this uh, to this topic in digital personas um, has um, or focuses on three main implications: the social, the cognitive, and the embodied implications. And I put together a few questions that uh, is something that uh, reflects on these different implications. So. Social implications uh, would reflect on how extended reality or digital media experiences would affect social dynamics towards uh, various uh, populations that are represented by digital personas, by fictionalized uh, personas or personas that uh, represent real world characteristics. In terms of cognition or cognitive implications, uh, the question would be, how we would comprehend and react to different social, cultural, and behavioral cues when we are interacting with digital personas and not face-to-face uh, -face with, uh, with physical bodies. And the embodied aspect uh, uh, relates to how the awareness of one's own body um, that, is, that has certain characteristics and when it's uh, when uh, the on-screen body is different from that, how would that affect a self-identity? How would we actually um, get to identify with our digital personas? So um, that's it for me. I'll start the sharing. Thank you so much, Kanta. Um, your research reminds me of when I had to create my own avatar to enter alt space and I had a minor existential crisis <laughs> in the act of doing so and then you talk to other colleagues who you know just did it in a in a second and we did some further research and some people you know just wanted to give me a random avatar and yet there were some elements that I found deeply personal so I'm interested to see what questions you might get based on those implications mm -hmm. um, and as kind of referenced um Jennifer's now going to be talking about the aesthetics of digital avatars. And we were talking very briefly before this, and she promised me that she's going to go beyond realism in this. So I'm very <laughs> intrigued uh, to see how you do that, Jennifer. Great. Thank Thanks you. so much, um, everyone. So um, as mentioned, I'm coming at this from a film studies, from a screen studies perspective. Um, and one of the things I'm interested in with digital avatars, and particularly at the moment with um, augmented reality where you have a merging of um, you know physical real world events and people and then uh, digital um, kind of costumes or filters or um, sort of superimpositions. Um, so in terms of thinking about this, uh, I want to kind of historicize uh, the representations on the aesthetics that we can see at play um, with different forms of digital avatars. Um, I'm particularly thinking about, yes, going beyond realism, thinking about uh, the potentially abstracting and liberating potential of these digital bodies, that they can rework the body to go beyond, you know, actual representation in terms of, you know, what we are we're born with, the bodies that we are kind of um, given and develop over time, 
Uh, and thinking about how some of the trends that we see in terms of things like um, augmented reality, where people kind of create new versions of themselves that are a mix of real world and um, digital filters, uh, can link back to various uh, sort of artistic and filmic movements, uh, including surrealism, where again, you have the idea of realism kind of um, at its focus and something that sort of um, experimented with and moved away from, thinking also about how it relates to something like cubism in terms of art history uh, or to movements uh, like the Dada, a kind of experimental movement that came about um, in kind of the early 20th century, um, initially in Europe. So seeing the body as it's represented in uh, avatars as something that is plastic almost, that it can be molded and that it can be used expressively. Um, so I think part of the potential uh, with di digital avatars uh, is that they can allow us to see the self anew, um, to experiment with uh, self-representation, um, for example. So I'm giving the example here um, where I've uh, combined a few um, filters um, that I accessed using Instagram a few years ago um, and looking at some of the similarities between uh, the black and white images, which uh, are from the experimental uh, film Ballet Mechanique, uh, which was a Dadaist post-Cubist art film uh, made by the artist uh, Fernand Lecher, collaborating with uh, the filmmaker Dudley Murphy and the photographer Man Ray. So they were using analog methods um, and experimental cinematography. Uh, but they were what they were aiming to do, or one of the aims, uh, was to present the human body in new ways and to combine this with uh, the kind of mechanization that was taking place um, in Europe at that time, that increasingly they were um, experiencing um, the, the rise of machine culture, um, things like uh, carnival rides were emerging and that some of those are incorporated into this film um, and factories and all of those kinds of mechanical dynamics were being played with um, in this film. Um, so the details of mouths, for example, have become kind of extracted and, and presented in close-up. Um, and the figure has been kind of moved into different parts um, in a similar way to, to seeing the machine um, machines in that way. Um, so one thing that I'm particularly interested in coming kind of from a film studies perspective, um, and as someone who has an interest in film costume, I teach a module on film costume, for example, is thinking about uh, avatars, for example, as a form of digital costume, um, that we can um, look at this from a kind of creative arts perspective, whether it's theater or film or other screen media, uh, and thinking about how avatars, again, offer this potential to um, transform the way our body is presented, um, but that this can also have um, a knock-on effect on our behavior. Um, so whether it's um, in terms of how we want to perform or even uh, as Kata goes into in more detail, the kind of the, the psychology of this and the impact it can have maybe on our, um, our cognition, our perception. Um, so thinking about how in seeing ourselves differently as we work through these digital avatars, um, and often if you're using augmented reality, your version, the version of yourself that you're presented with, you're watching it on, on screen. Um, so it's kind of been mirrored back to you. And I think, you know, this ability then for it to change our body language or our behavior. Um, as I think a lot of people learned, um, you know, earlier in the pandemic in terms of seeing themselves on screen via meetings or via Zoom, the, the ability or the kind of the, the sudden awareness of your body and, and moving it in different ways in a way that you weren't aware of before. Um, and with these avatars, of course, you're getting that kind of real time 
um, correspondence to seeing how you look in the real world is then being um, represented on the screen in a slightly different form. Um, and then other aspects that I think we can think about in relation to avatars um, is their potential for storytelling, their potential for, for creating story worlds. Um, so again, these are really kind of basic um, experiments, I say, that I did um, in Zoom using um, virtual backgrounds and using Snapchat filters. Um, these were done during teaching. Um, and in each case, um, well, in the first case, it's combining um, a Snapchat filter with the background from uh, the expressionist film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, and in recording this, seeing how quickly, um, you know, the kind of in, in watching yourself in this form on screen, the tendency was to kind of to do things to create a better uh, kind of form of synchronization or a better match with the background, the wanting to move your body into shapes that um, go better with the kind of the uh, the, the oblique lines um, in Caligari, for example, of blinking a lot because your eyes are suddenly whited out and they really stand out in that way. Um, thinking about how um, with the, uh, the gift that's playing in the bottom left, where your face is replaced by this giant baby's head. Um, and there is a real sort of disembodiment effect, something quite jarring because in order um, even when I was when you're watching yourself on screen and I was touching my face on screen as this crazy doll, but in reality, mm. I wasn't. My hands were much lower. And mm. um, so a strange sense in which what you see on screen is not mimicking your actual um, real world body. Um, so I'll just finish up by mentioning, you know, that there is some really interesting research beginning to come out um, on this kind of technology and their uses and including their uses for kind of things like performing arts. Um, so this is just one um, citation, you know, going back to 2017, um, where these authors um, experimented with using an augmented reality mirror um, in a museum space and in an opera, um, an opera hall to try and have characters or, you know, to have characters within the opera, use it to kind of get better, to get more into character, um, to what they describe as stepping into character, but also that people going to a museum could and kind of better understand potentially um, this history that they were exploring in the museum space by, you know, getting to try on these filters. Um, but again, even things like this, of course, raise kind of issues around identity politics and, you know, when or when it is or is not uh, kind of appropriate to try on different bodies. Um, I know this is something that, um, you know, Kata's project looks at in more detail, the kind of just because you can, uh, you know, take on different avatars of maybe different uh, races or ethnicities or genders, you know, is it right to do this? Is this the kind of um, ter the terms that might be used might be sort of digital blackface or something like that, where you're you're um, uh, superficially representing um, other cultures and races, but without, you know, obviously going through that as an actual lived experience and the potential for that to be obviously really kind of problematic. Um, and exploitative, but I will leave it on that, on that note, thanks. Thank you so much, um, Jennifer. Um, I love how you both touched on the potential for liberation, but also that kind of caution around you know, digital appropriation, um, I suppose. Um, and then so to our last speaker who is joining us online, um, Professor Alyosha Smolich is a lecturer at AR, in AR and VR at Luzon University of Applied Sciences. 
and Arts in Switzerland. Um, you're very welcome. Um, I am curious though, Alyosha, um, if you raised your hand for that question at the beginning, um, if avatars and digital personas should be considered human. No, I did not uh, raise my hand. Okay, <laughs> just checking. I couldn't see you when you did it. <laughs> no, I didn't raise my hand, but uh, there should be something. There should be some form of legal person or some sort of an accountable um, person, right? So I think that we should have identities in this upcoming worlds uh, that are also accountable and responsible for things that they are doing in these worlds. But that's something we can maybe discuss when we go on. I'm wondering if you can see my screen. You can. It just, I think, it, yeah. Yeah. Just okay. Well, uh, thanks a lot. So uh, I prepared a few slides, and I will be very fast with that. Uh, um, uh, so that goes back. So I'm now in Luzerne at Hochschule Luzerne, but I've been for many years with Trinity College, uh, heading the VSense lab, and also founding the Volograms. So what I'm telling and showing is related to all of these things, obviously. And uh, as a computer scientist, I'll give a, a bit more the technical perspectives related to social VR or uh, the metaverse, uh, as some people may call it, although it's not clear what that is. No? But uh, let's assume that there is this network of persistent virtual worlds uh, that are interactive and immersive in some way where we are represented as a digital persona, we can go in, we can do things. Um, we can own things, so there can be NFTs or items that we belong or trade, um, all of that uh, belongs to this space. Some people also see it as an evolution from 2D web pages now into 3D spaces that we populate uh, with, our, uh, with, with ourselves in the end, if we want, right? And uh, Outspace VR, uh, Jess already mentioned that, that's one of these platforms owned by one of the tech giants, Microsoft. Meanwhile, there is also Horizon uh, owned by Meta, no? so there, there can be these extensions of existing social networks, but there can also be things that are decentralized, that are not owned by a particular company that are based on the blockchain and that may open completely new opportunities also for decentralized uh, ownership of things in this virtual world, but that's another different story, right? Um, but here in this example, you also see that uh, we will go in there, we will be represented by our digital persona or avatar, and we can decide to um, mimic ourselves, but we can also express ourselves and be whoever and whatever we want, right? So you see here a few examples of persona that are completely different. And uh, so there's a lot of criticism about this, but uh, we could also see that really as an opportunity also for underprivileged people to be um, to do things that they couldn't do in, in the real world, right? Uh, so what can you do there, for instance? And uh, one thing, so you can go in there, you can have events, you can meet people as their avatars. And uh, uh, so this is something that was done by, by Gareth, who's back there in the room. So hi, Gareth. So you can refer to him for... But any questions of, uh, of this work that he is carrying on also at, uh, at Trinity College. So he put up this uh, virtual world of uh, this model of Trinity College Dublin. It's a, it's a complete model of the campus. So you can go in there and meet people like you see here. The model itself was done by Professor Carol O'Sullivan in the project Metropolis uh, many more than 10 years ago, but now it is available online. And you see, you can also uh, teleport to other places. So that's a model on Klontarf, uh, Klontarf Beach, which is also close to Gareth's home, as I know. And uh, 
very much related to projects around uh, COVID that he was doing in this uh, context. So there's a number of publications around such work. Huh? So this is actually the, the avatars of my class from Luzerne who are visiting now uh, Trinity College uh, hosted by Gareth who was uh, showing us around here. Huh? So this is one of an example of what can happen in these worlds. Huh? And uh, this, that's another small example of my nice little hometown Aarau in Switzerland now, where I also created a, a virtual model of that, that you can go in. And uh, here is an Outspace VR selfie of myself in this world. That's uh, this digital representation of myself, uh, maybe two years ago. And I, you see, I chose to be quite photorealistic. So I tried to copy myself with these means that drove Jess so, uh, uh, so crazy, as, as she mentioned. So I selected from the opportunities uh, to create such a cartoonish avatar of myself that, yeah, it, it's more or less like I would look like. Um, here you see how I do look like nowadays and also this real environment and it also kind of illustrates this relation of this virtual worlds versus the real worlds that can mimic and uh, copy each other but don't have to. Right, so there is some decision about how people are designing themselves as a persona in, in the metaverse or in, in these social media. And that's also something that we were investigating with our classes. So we took data from, from I think, uh, over 100 students where we investigated what were the decisions for designing themselves. And uh, Gareth is just the, the first author on all of this, uh, this work. Um, yeah, so there are uh, technological limitations as well to that, as well as um, uh, preferences that people have. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen this example. So this is uh, uh, Zuckerberg, who uh, at some point appeared on the internet, uh, represented as this avatar, which is quite cartoonish, not very photorealistic. And it created an outcry on the internet saying that, well, if this is the metaverse, then what do we need it for? And uh, people were really bashing uh, this uh, very much. Then later they released another version of that avatar, which is a little bit more photorealistic. So technically more advanced, uh, but still not like he would look in real life. No? So there is obviously a dimension of photorealism that is associated with, with these uh, digital avatars. No? But generally, uh, they allow us to identify and to express ourselves. They should also have some responsibility and, and accountability. And in these virtual worlds, they will also allow us something like digital ownership of items that we may carry around. Um, but in terms of photorealism, what you see here is uh, an avatar. So it's a, it's a two-dimensional video that was purely created from text input through artificial intelligence. So it's a company called um, Synthesia that do, does some neural rendering and is able to do really photorealistic looking avatars. And uh, right, so if you compare back to what we've seen there, the cartoonish style of avatar that's maybe the future. No? So it's at this point, it's only very limited. It's only uh, 2D video, but you can extrapolate that into the future and we'll see that through technology at some point, we will most likely be able to have photorealistic avatars as well. No? Um, and if I may, and still have a minute of time, that's also related to some work that uh, we have been doing at Trinity College. And that uh, is also uh, from our startup company, Volograms. So the idea is to bring real people into virtual reality, into the metaverse by, yeah, algorithms, specific algorithms that, for instance, capture a person doing something and that turn this person into some three-dimensional representation. 
And once you have that three-dimensional representation, you can integrate it into these virtual worlds. Now it, it becomes an asset that can then be integrated into AR, as you see on the left-hand side, as a Snapchat filter or in various types of um, applications. Um, I'm jumping through this a little bit quick because I want to show this. So we did also a, a project together with the, the Long Room Hub, uh, reconstructing uh, a part of, uh, of the Long Room and also uh, bringing a person, uh, an actor dressed as Jonathan Swift in there. So you can virtually visit now this space and meet Jonathan Swift, or you can in AR go into the library with an AR device and see Jonathan Swift appearing there. Now, so th that means digital persona, photorealistically looking people brought into, into these applications. Um, another project we were working on to, uh, to bring the, uh, the novel Ulysses to life, the first episode of it. So this is Buck Mulligan, one of the characters of the opening scene on Martello Tower in the south of Dublin. Um, just very quickly, also bringing real people into, into VR is, is the topic that I want to highlight here. And that's also something that, um, that our startup is looking at. So this is now a, uh, an app that you can download to your phone and it will allow you also to create such uh, 3D digital humans of, uh, of someone performing. And once you have that, you can do whatever you would do. Uh, otherwise, you can bring in these these people into various types of user-generated content, but also different types of professional applications are possible. And we are investigating those obviously as well in project. Now, so yeah, that, that was a little bit the take here. Now, so uh, to, to say that photorealism is certainly one of the dimensions that will be uh, looked at in the, in, in the, in the coming years. much um Alyosha um, I was reminded your your alt space avatar actually looks a lot like a colleague of mine in alt space <laughs> and yet you look very different in real life and I'm quite curious like as we edge towards photo realism as you've been demonstrated like gosh things have come on so much um relatively recently how that realism will affect how we interact with each other um Curious as to your take on that, and I'll also um, ask you guys the same. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a certain danger also that comes with photorealism that is also often discussed uh, because it allows fake news. And uh, you've seen this video that allows to create all sorts of um, fake fake news. No? And that will also, uh, if you extrapolate that, and one day we will be able really to to meet in, in a virtual world as photorealistic holograms. Uh, so there, it becomes indistinguishable between reality and these, these representations. It will raise a lot of ethical questions, obviously, that uh, should be discussed and addressed by, by people like, like you in the room, obviously, yes. Well, let's do that. I feel like there was an invitation to start opening up some of those questions. Um, Kai, when you're thinking about how um like you're obviously looking at behavior you like that's your thing it's right i'm always struck by the lack of mirrored surfaces when i enter mm -hmm. um vr's like virtual worlds but if we have this very photorealistic avatar and we're looking at those how's that going to maybe change our behavior and the ethics around that i would actually um 
approach it from the other direction of like non-photorealism. Because mm. I would say that uh, right now in many virtual spaces, uh, representations are tied to the function and less to um, a realistic representation of a person, which limits a lot of uh, social cues, for example, um, the avatar that Alyosha was showing, like the one that doesn't have an arm, it could be, you know, a representation of a person. And can uh, I see the, um, the characteristics, your characteristics, Alyosha, behind um, the, uh, the digital representation? But there are a lot of things missing that we rely on in uh, everyday social scenarios uh, to interact with each other, to understand each other because uh, of these limitations. Um, but at the same time, when we would we, we say that uh, um, we have photorealistic representations and then we take ourselves into this digital world, would it be, again, like, would it be us or would it be um, uh, still some kind of an alternative persona, um, even if it, if, it, uh, if it looks the same? And what you're saying about this mirrored surfaces to see see ourselves uh, looking the same way. Um, what I see is that if that happens in a virtual world, that enhances the whole idea that there is no difference between the virtual world and the physical world, which can be again very um, very difficult in term in terms of ethics, but at the same time could be practical in a way that could bridge gaps, like geographic or physical gaps between people. But right now there are so many um, virtual spaces where uh, even, though, even though there might not be um, mirrored surfaces, but there are the avatar customization platform, pretty much when you enter a virtual world, this is the first thing you have to do. And then you see yourself through this. Uh, a designs very often stereotypical uh, characteristics where two people like you said who look different in in real world would look the same in terms of avatar because they have the same hair color and um whatever um basic characteristics that's so so limiting that that you actually bump into someone who looks exactly like you and that's that doesn't that doesn't help this kind of uh, yeah. um, communication situations. Thank you, Kata. And in a moment, we are going to throw questions out to the floor. There's already one in from the live stream, which I will ask in a moment. But I'd love to ask Jennifer one because you were drawing on that art historical approach, and I'm curious as to how contemporary art movements today might influence the future of how we create avatars, and even perhaps how photography um, as an art form is today influencing that move towards photorealism in avatars. Have you looked into that or explored that at all? Um, not that particular question, but I do think that what you're seeing increasingly, um, especially on sites like Instagram, where you have you know huge demographics of young people using filters and um, there's some you know worrying research, for example, around teenagers as you know, people as young as teenagers uh, getting plastic surgery to try and look more like their augmented selves, you know, because they create a kind of what they see as being, you know, the ideal version of themselves that they then want to, you know, match in the real world. 
I think that's one of the kind of the dangers of it is, you know, becoming attached, overly attached maybe to these virtual versions of ourselves and wanting to then like kind of um, map that back onto reality. Um, I suppose one of the things that I, that always comes to mind to me when you start to talk about photorealism in relation to avatars or, you know, any kind of screen representations is um, the term, for example, the uncanny valley, which I'm sure lots of people here, you know, who study technology or robots or anything like that come across in terms of the way um, that humans generally can respond quite poorly to, to uh, representations or recreations that very closely mimic or, you know, come close to approximating um, humans and that they're almost more comfortable um, with slightly more cartoonish versions, for example. And I, it's interesting with the Mark uh, Zuckerberg example to think about that and, you know, is this partly, you know, getting at that? I know that's something that's happened in relation to um, the film industry and responses to different forms of uh, computer generated imagery that's been created and uh, with certain films where they move towards a very photorealistic realistic model and people found it very jarring and um, particularly because things like eyes are extremely hard to recreate um, in uh, sort of photorealistic um, forms of animation and, and computer generated in imagery and people very quickly perceive that and find it very strange if the eyes you know, look vacant, they don't have the same kind of responsiveness to light that they would in real life. And we can pick up those very small changes very easily. And so sometimes we're more comfortable with something that's more artificial than something that's better, you know, more closely appropriates um, or approximates reality. Uh, we are right at time and I'm sure people have places to go when it hits two o'clock. So I just want to um, finish up by saying a massive big thank you to Alyosha, Jennifer and Kata um, in the room. Um, and let's give them a big round of applause. <laughs>